so is Kellyanne Baptiste. But here comes the Olympics. the greatest female sprinter in the world. It's not a girl thing, it's a skills thing. Boxing, male boxing was starting to kind of shrivel up and die. And all of a sudden, women and girls started getting really interested in combat sports and boxing and wrestling and kickboxing and mixed martial arts. And so it was like, hey, let's turn our attention to women and girls. The happiest in my life or in my family to be the first, the first Uganda women. Boxing was the last Olympic sport to exclude women. That finally changed in 2012, and the Tokyo Olympic Games was the sport's most gender-equal competition. One particular phenomenon that shaped boxing's popularity in recent years was the rise of female boxers in low- and middle-income countries. Countries like Uganda. Today we talk about one female boxer in particular, Helen Baleke her journey into the world of boxing, and her mission now. Her story becomes especially relevant as this summer we will see the first Ugandan woman box in the Olympics, Catherine Nansiri. We also talk to Paige Schneider, an assistant professor of politics and women's and gender studies at the University of the South, Siwani. She came across an article and started to research the rise of female boxers in the Global South. I started noticing a lot of uh, articles about women in boxing, and this was probably 2012, 2013. And then I came across an article about women boxers in Afghanistan, and they were training for the Olympics because the, um, you know, the, the Olympics uh, introduced women's boxing for the first time in 2012. They, you know, they finally decided to include women in 2012. So women in Afghanistan were training for the 2012 Olympics. And so as I started to investigate, this topic, I was shocked by how widespread women's boxing was, particularly in low and middle income countries. I had some graduate student, Ugandan graduate students that were working with me. And I came across an article on women boxers in Uganda. And I was like, hey, can you figure out how to introduce me to these boxers? And it wasn't easy because, you know, they, the boxers, um, the women live in Kampala in Katanga, which is a very low income neighborhood of the capital city. And there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> living in those neighborhoods. So I did get the name of a boxing gym and that was the Rhino Boxing Gym, which was the most famous boxing gym. Um, in the neighborhood. And so as it turned out, my assistant James was able to make contact with the coach and the coach was able to make contact with five women boxers ranging in age from like 19 to 27. And so I spent a couple of days just hanging out with them. One of these women training at the Rhino Boxing Club was Helen Baleke. Years earlier, a 17-year-old Baleke went to the same gym to learn how to defend herself. The Rhino Boxing Club is in Katanga, a slum in the capital city of Kampala, and it has become a bit of a safe haven for young people in the neighborhood. Coach Kapalata, who runs the gym, said that at first, many of the boxers go there to learn self-defense, to get revenge on someone who has wronged them. But with time, through training, they discover a love for boxing. That was no different for Helen Baleke. When she first went to the Rhino Club, 
she wanted to get revenge on some men who had attacked her on the streets. After beating me, I wanted to to revenge. So I went the, I went to the gym. At the gym, Coach Kapalata asked her for 20,000 Ugandan shillings, about $8 at the time. She didn't have that kind of money. So she left the gym and didn't plan to come back. But a few weeks later, she ran into Coach Kapalata. He told me that, why don't you come back? I said, I don't have money. He told me, okay, you just come and you start training after you will get and then you pay. I said, okay, I started boxing to revenge. So, like, I trained, like, three weeks. Serious training, and I was better. You have to fight. You have to train every day. I said, okay. He said, like, you're so good in boxing. Why don't, don't stop? I said, okay. Then we started, we started training. They, I went in the gym again with a skirt, with a sandals. I started again boxing. Then Coach, Coach Kapalata gave me a shoes and a trouser. I like that, but the shoes, it was too big. That's how I started boxing. Looking at images of the galvanized, corrugated roofing of the Rhino Boxing Club, one can imagine the obstacles boxers in Uganda and in other countries in the Global South face. Although lack of resources and infrastructure does present a barrier, there are other obstacles in the way of female boxers. But Uganda has also proven to be one of the places where women can access training in more or less equal ways to men. And that also has to do with the role of gatekeepers. I can say that in Uganda, that I saw some pretty big differences between um, kind of gatekeepers in Uganda versus what I had read about in particularly in Latin American countries and also in some Middle Eastern countries. So in Uganda, I think there's less gatekeeping at the level of family and friends. And so all of the women who, and girls, um, there was one teenage girl and the rest were kind of young adult women. All of them said that their families were very supportive. And so that meant for most of them, they had single, there were single moms. They're, they had single moms and some of them were single moms. And so it was a kind of extended matriarchal network. And so they encouraged like their cousins and younger sisters to box, not only for the prospects of fame and fortune, and they really, you know, they, they were all hopeful that this might be a path out of poverty, um, but also for self-defense. So, you know, there it was like, well, if you can defend yourself, um, that's a good thing. Because again, they're living in, a, you know, what is just a very, very low income um, neighborhoods. And they are subject to a lot of violence, a lot of random violence, a lot of stranger violence, a lot of sexual violence. And so, you know, 
there it was like, well, this is a way you might protect yourself. So you can see a mom like being glad that her daughter is boxing. And they didn't really worry as much about, you know, would this affect marriageability? Would this, would this, you know, detract from expectations of honor? Because the, it was about survival and they're, it's just, that's just not a part of the, the, their concerns. Schneider's work has focused on how gender roles and their perception can be changed by women accessing male-dominant sports. Her theory is that representation of women in these sports and seeing women training and sparring with men could also affect change outside of the ring. You know, in the abstract or theoretically, any time that women and girls are able to demonstrate their, you know, physical strength, speed, endurance, um, that that does then challenge the dominant narratives as women and girls as physically weak, um, which then taps into kind of the rescue narratives of women needing to be protected uh, by men from other men. Uh, and so, you know, particularly what I found in Uganda was that the men that the women and girls were boxing with in the gym, because everybody was there together in the gym, there were not enough resources to, you know, to have separate boxing areas, even if perhaps some of the men thought that that would be more appropriate. But what I found really was that it seemed like the men were, were really proud of the women, that they were, um, that they did, you know, um, see that and perhaps had their own preconceived notions about women's capabilities challenged, because how could you not, right? You're in the boxing ring with a woman who's demonstrating high level boxing skills in a sparring match. And so, you know, it would seem like, of course, that the men would grow in their kind of admiration and respect for the women. Now, I don't have any proof that that translates into, you know, did these men then to go out and treat women better in their lives? Did they have more respect for women? I'm not sure. I don't know about that. But they certainly seemed sincere in in the way that, you know, they were the camaraderie in the gym. Um, And also just the fact that the male coaches were willing to invest in the women. It's a lot of volunteer work, you know, with the hope that maybe something could happen um, that might lead to some money in the future. Uh, and so the the male coaches were, you know, they seemed to be just as invested in the women boxers as they were the male boxers. Still, there are other challenges that these women faced. One of the more kind of significant material challenges was lack of access to resources coaching, and even competition. So, you know, a lot of the boxers mention how when they get really good, they they can't find sparring partners because there are so few women. So in some countries, it's okay for the women to spar with men. Like in Uganda, that's what they do. They box, they box with men. Um, but in other countries, that's not seen as, as appropriate because of gender norms and so on. Um, so that is a significant problem. And, and you know, one thing to keep in mind, I guess, is that in lower income countries, resources for sports is very limited, just period. I mean, there's still a focus on just economic development, food security, land procurement, and things like that, just basic survival. So there's not a lot of resources put into sports and the resources that are directed into sports go to men. 
So women are like, you know, second class athletes and they get the leftovers. And so that often is means that they're getting barely anything at all, including even basic things like a uniform to participate in an Olympic qualifying event, which is demoralizing, you know, because they're treated as, you know, less than as athletes, yet they work really hard and they train just as hard as the men. Um, so that's that has not changed and that, you know, significant in any significant way because really the resource deprivation um, for lower income countries is, is not changing. The distribution of resources worldwide is, you know, still very much skewed towards high income countries. So, you know, there, it's an uphill battle for women. Added to this, women from some regions of the world face another obstacle in their boxing career. In order to qualify for the Olympics, boxers must first compete in other regional international games. And there are still two regional games where women are excluded. The Mediterranean Games and also the Pan-Arab Games. So women in these regions have it particularly difficult if they want to become Olympic athletes. In 2012, Baleke qualified for the International Boxing Association's World Amateur Boxing Championships. But with no help from the government or the Boxing Federation to fund the trip to China, she was not able to participate. Although women continue to face harder entry barriers, to sport around the world. Dr. Schneider told us how female boxers have played a fundamental role in a sport that was falling behind in popularity. Because in societies where people were quote-unquote less violent, combat sports such as boxing were losing their audiences. Well, I think there was a premature kind of expectation that boxing was dead <laughs> the last couple of decades. There, you know, you kept I kept seeing from time to time a kind of, you know, analysis that said, well, as more and more, you know, societies around the world move to kind of this postmodern, you know, post-violence, you know, uh, I don't know, trajectory that combat sports would decline in um, popularity. You know, and also looking at the AIBA, which is the international organization that until it was recently sanctioned for corruption had been um, organizing the amateur boxing for the Olympic, you know, Olympics. Um, you know, they had actually in some of their publications hinted at the struggles of maintaining interest in the sport in some areas, mostly higher income countries. But in low and middle income countries, boxing remained really popular. And so, in, in fact, I think that one of the reasons why the AIBA finally started paying more attention to women, bo women boxers, and it was, in fact, because you had some really fantastic women boxers emerging in regions, world regions that had that women had not gotten a lot of tension in before. And these were kind of a, a regions that had more low and middle income countries. So it was almost as if boxing, male boxing was starting to kind of shrivel up and die 
And all of a sudden, women and girls started getting really interested in combat sports and boxing and wrestling and kickboxing and mixed martial arts, Muay Thai. And so it was like, hey, let's turn our attention to women and girls because they're like reviving interest in this sport. And I'm, you know, in, in part, at first, they kind of treated it like a novelty. So when you look at the early editions of these newsletters that they would publish every, you know, quarter, quarterly newsletters, you would see them feature women boxers and like not actually boxing. They would be holding, they would be on the stage with makeup and gowns holding their boxing, you know, statue, right? Their awards, their, um, their uh, gold, you know, whatever they call them. I can't remember what they call them. Um, you know, that they had the belts, the boxing belts. And so I was like, okay, so they're just objectifying the women boxers, focusing on their appearance. <laughs> Is this a good thing? But then over time, over the period from like 2011, which is again, right before Olympic boxing, women in, are, are in the Olympics, from 2011 to like 2018, you start to see it's a real change in the representation of women boxers. And they're focused, they're, they're featuring a lot more women and girls. So they're focusing on regional competitions for amateurs at the junior level. So, you know, girls from like 14 up. Um, and they're including all of the stats for the first time and all of the competitions worldwide that women and girls are participating in. And they're actually showing pictures of women and girls actually hitting each other, you know? So they're in classic boxing poses and there's contact, there's facial contact and so on. So I'm like, okay, so this may be for real, you know? So they're growing in their respect for the accomplishments of female boxers. They're representing female boxers in a more sophisticated and complex way in a real way and they're also appreciating the facts that when the fact that women and girls are increasing attention and you know worldwide on the sport of boxing once again so i think that from what i've seen women and girls are helping to um actually enhance um and, and increased interest in, in boxing. Now, some people are don't like that. You know, they don't, some people don't like boxing as a sport. It is very violent. You're training people to hit and harm each other. So I understand that there are reasons why some people would not like to see boxing continue because it can hurt, you know, the boxers, especially. Um, but nonetheless, it does seem like women and girls are becoming, you know, increasingly interested in it around the world. And I don't see that subsiding anytime soon. Boxing can be a rough sport and a dark business. Often the most disadvantaged people become fighters because they have no other opportunity or the education to do other kinds of work. They turn to boxing in hopes to escape poverty and earn a living. But is that the same for women? it seems to be a pretty important motivation for boxing. Um, there are some women who have achieved, you know, pretty significant status within their countries. Um, you know, um, Malpartida in um, Peru is one. Um, uh, Calm, Mary Calm in India is another. And so, you know, they can, they can get um, sponsorships for athletic products and, you know, the same type of sponsorships that athletes get in the U.S. So that can bring in a stream of income. They can win small amounts of money in a bout. And if they're already making, if they're living on a dollar a day, 
you know, it, that what they could make in winning one bout might be the equivalent of, you know, a half a year or a year's income selling, you know, market goods at a market, vegetables or whatever, you know, very, these are often very low income women. Um, and so there are economic incentives, even though for most women, they're not actually going to receive much. We didn't have money. We didn't have anything for it because very hard in the morning, I had to go to the market for searching to pick, pick food so that we can eat. Helen used to leave her two children at the care of her mother when she was training or working selling banana peels. On those days, her dream was to box in the Olympics. In 2019, at the African Games in Morocco, Baleke became the first Ugandan woman to win a medal in an international boxing competition. The happiest in my life, or in my family, to be the first, the first Ugandan woman who bring the medal. That was so, so, so nice to me. That was all African games, it was in Morocco. We really enjoyed, I like that. Baleke and her sister both became national champions in their respective weight categories in Uganda. During that time, their income improved, but they still had to keep working. Helen created a workshop for young people in Katanga. She would train in boxing, but also teach them how to sue and sell what they made in the market. For me, I encourage all the girls, they have to be confident when they are fighting, they, when they are, they have to fight there for their rights, they have like that. Hmm? And then, because they lose what? Hope. And then they say that, ah, let me go to, to steal, which is not good. Let me take drugs so that, which is not good. However, COVID-19 has put an end to it. And with the lockdown in Uganda, they have not been able to work in months. For young women across the world, it is important to see other women like Helen Baleke or Catherine and Siri succeed in previously all-male spaces. Girls, young girls, they used to see me, they used to like me. So if they see me doing anything, I motivate them. Many have joined boxing of me here in Katanga. Women athletes and girl athletes have struggled to get attention in low and middle income countries. And they're not, as I said before, they're not as taken as seriously. And yet over time, you see this increasing participation in the Olympics, you know, of women and girls from a lot of different countries around the world, including almost all of the low and middle income countries. So I thought that that was important to try to amplify 
to, you know, as much as possible, to the extent possible, the fact that there are women and girl athletes that are serious athletes that train hard, that are, you know, can be champions in countries where we normally assume that women and girls are just vulnerable, you know, um, have no agency that, you know, lack um, opportunity to, you know, engage in anything other than just basic survival. So, I thought that that was important. And also, I mean, and these are still countries where patriarchy is firmly entrenched and men still control almost all of the positions of power. And that is in the military and in religious institutions and in business and, of course, in politics. And so, you know, sports like the military and politics has historically been a male preserve and men see it as a space that they control, they set the rules, they define the boundaries. And so these were women and girls who were really, you know, challenging and transgressing expectations, which is a very brave thing to do uh, because they can, um, they can be, you know, targets of, of violence for going outside of traditional gendered expectations about how they should dress, how they should behave, what types of activities they should engage in. And so they're also, you know, brave. The women and girls that are really committed to the sport, they're they're not easily dissuaded. So they're athletes, right? They're athletes just like any athlete and they love the sport and they um, they get addicted to it just like the rest of us who have played sports. And it's not only about boxing or sport in general. We already talked about economic incentives for boxers and how they benefit from an empowered role in society. But there is a more personal aspect to it that can change the day-to-day -day of girls around the world and there is no need to become an Olympic athlete for it. Before I was too, too, too shy. Even I can't speak with anybody. Even I, even I didn't know English, I didn't know everything. But now I try English. Boxing teach me English. <laughs> and then self-defense, confident. We can get courage. But now I can stand up and then I speak. I can do what? Like that. Thank you for listening to Women in Sport. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe and follow us for more. Or if you want to say hi, follow us on Twitter. We're on Women Sport Pod. I'm Sophie Timmerman. And I'm Tess Moskowitz. See you next time. <laughs>